الحمد لله وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على عبده محمد بن عبد الله رسول الله وعلى آله وأصحابه So all praises for Allah the Most High and His send or we ask Allah for His peace and blessings upon Muhammad the son of Abdullah the final messenger and upon his family and his companions. We will, insha'Allah, complete the reading of this small book and commenting on it. And we ask Allah that He benefits us and you all with it. And it has proceeded yesterday. That we spoke about different angles about the life and personality of Imam al-Bukhari. Such as his knowledge. And how he was an Imam in the Sunnah. And how he was patient upon the harm that came to him. And about how Allah raised his status and the mention of him in this world. And there's another affair that still remains. And it is a question. How did Imam al-Bukhari used to live? How did he provide for himself? And the answer to that. That he used to have an amount of wealth. May Allah have mercy on him. And his brother used to do business with that money for him. So he would earn from that business. And that's how he used to be. And that is the answer to that question that remained from yesterday. How do we combine seeking knowledge and seeking provision? And this type of question was never a problem or an issue with the companions. Nor with the tabi'een, the students of the sahaba. Nor with the rest of the imams of hadith. For indeed, the ten who were of the companions who were promised paradise, all of them were wealthy businessmen. And likewise, many of the noble companions and the imams. And the imam Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, he was from the great businessmen and the wealthy. Likewise, the Imam Layth ibn Sa'id. And Imam al-Nasai, the one who compiled his book as Sunan. And other than those are many. And Abu Bakr, the Imam Abu Bakr al-Khalal, the same author who wrote a book called As-Sunnah, he also compiled and wrote this book called Al-Hath Ala Tijarati Wal Kasbi Wal Amal. Al-Hath Ala Tijarati 
يقول آدم الصناعة الحث على التجارة والصناعة والعمل So the title of the book is Encouragement upon doing business, manufacturing and working وهو كتاب مطبوع And it is a published book وقد شرحه أخونا الشيخ الفاضل أبو عثمان العنجري And our Sheikh our brother Abu Uthman Muhammad al-Anjari has explained this book in approximately six sittings. So I say there is no issue or no problem with the companions or those who came after them from the Imams regarding this issue of combining seeking of knowledge and seeking provision. Like how we find this as some type of problem with those who have come afterwards. And the reason for that the reason for that is that they differ regarding the correct understanding of knowledge. What is knowledge? وهل هو شيء مستقل عن حياة الإنسان؟ So they don't understand. Is it something that is separate from the life of mankind or of, of a person? كيف فهم الصحابة العلم؟ How did the companions of the Prophet understand knowledge? لقد كانوا يطلبون العلم على يدي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. So they used to seek knowledge in front of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. أو يتعلم بعضهم من بعض. Or they used to learn it from each other. في المسجد. Either in the masjid. أو في الطريق. Or outside in the streets. أو في البستان عند النزهة. Or with the farm. فلم يكن العلم محصورا عندهم في الحلقة. So knowledge with them was never something that was restricted to a lesson. وكان العلم جزءا من حياتهم. And knowledge was a part of their regular lives and their religion because they used to worship Allah with that knowledge or take that knowledge as part of their religion and they passed through many times of difficulty so it happened that Abu Huraira had even almost fainted or fainted due to hunger. And there were those who were poor from the ones who made hijra that were living in Medina. Those people that did not have any family there with them and no place of, to stay of their own. They used to stay in the masjid. And they were called the people of the Sufa. But they would still go out to the markets. And they would earn their money. And their condition then changed. And that situation of them living in the masjid did not continue. And that situation did not remain after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. But rather they turned towards business and working. And then they spread out 
to the different lands. And from them were those who were businessmen. And Abu Huraira became the emir, the ruler over Medina. And some of those became the emir over Bahrain. And Allah opened up for them from the permissible provisions. So that condition of them being the people of the Sufa, this was only a small part of their whole life. They were patient during that time. And that situation did not prevent them from learning. And they were not pleased to remain in that situation. Because they understood the reality of life. And they understood the religion with a correct understanding. So the meaning of, of seeking knowledge is not So the meaning of seeking knowledge is not that you cut yourself off and keep yourself only in the masjid with books. And that you abandon seeking provisions. And the Salaf used to say that indeed this knowledge is your religion. So they sought their knowledge as religion and they would seek to get closer to Allah with that. They would correct their aqidah, their beliefs. And they would correct their acts of worship with it. And if something unexpected happened to one of them, then he would go and ask the Prophet about that occurrence specifically. Or they would ask one of the people of knowledge of the Sahaba. And then once he got his answer, he'd go back to the rest of his normal life. So it was not that knowledge and seeking knowledge was like a separate job that was separate and different from the rest of their normal life. And Umar ibn al-Khattab and he was with one of his brothers from the Ansar. They were business partners in a farm. So one of them would stay at the farm house, at the farm. And the other would come to the Prophet to learn. So if the night came, then he would go back and inform him about what new has come from the revelation. And the very next day, then the other one would go out and do the same thing. This is while the Prophet himself was there at the masjid. Did the Sahaba abandon their worldly works? And did they abandon their businesses? And did they think, oh, we, we don't want to waste the opportunity 
by doing this business and working, we should only sit with the Prophet ﷺ? No, they never used to do that. Rather, Abu Hurairah said, and he had come as a muhajir. He made hijrah to Medina in the seventh year after the hijrah. The same year of Khaybar. And he didn't have in Medina any family and any wealth. So he used to stick close to the Prophet And he'd eat from what the Prophet would share with him. So he memorized many ahadith. And he said, Indeed, I didn't use, I didn't have any family or wealth. And it was that the, my brothers from the muhajirin that they were busied by doing business in the markets. And my brothers from the Ansar they were busied by their work in their farms and their palm trees, their date trees. So that which is the majority or most occurring amongst the muhajirin, the people who made hijrah, was the was doing business. And the major practice or what they were busy most with for the Ansar was their farming. So Abu Huraira said, so due to that, that's why I memorized what they did not memorize. And I was present while they were absent. So due to that, I had the more hadith memorized than them. So Abu Huraira He bore witness that his brothers from the Muhajireen and the Ansar they used to work in that which they would earn from. And that's the reason for them narrating fewer ahadith than him. And this did not make them deficient in any way. This and they have no blame upon them for what they were busy with. And the Prophet said, as was narrated by Abdullah ibn Amr in Sahih Muslim, So he said that it is sufficient as a sin upon a person that he wastes away those who he is responsible for. So the, we find that the companions of the Prophet وسلم, did not find any problem in this issue. Because their seeking of knowledge was not like a job that they would use in order to seek provision in this life. Like we find many of the people in the later generations have done. And there is nothing to say that it's obligatory upon all of the people to be scholars. But rather from the knowledge is 
issues that each Muslim needs to learn. من الرجال والنساء. Both from the men and the women. ومن العلم ما يقوم به البعض في الأمة. And from the types of knowledge is that which only some of the ummah needs to learn. فلا تعارض ولا مشكلة. So there's no contradiction and there's no problem. إذا فهمنا كيف كان الصحابة والأئمة. If we understood how the Sahaba were and how the Imams were. ومن ذلك إمامنا البخاري رحمه الله. And from them is our Imam al-Bukhari. فقد كان له مال كثير. So indeed he had a great amount of wealth. وجعل أخاه يتجر فيه. And he had his brother do business for him with it. And he'd come back to him with the profits and earnings. And then he would use that money that he would earn on his seeking knowledge. And it was that some of the Salaf, like Imam Sufyan al-Thawri, Sometimes he would go down to the marketplace and he would do business and sell. And either him, Sufyan Athari, or other than him, and I have doubt about which person at the moment, a man came to him and asked him about a hadith while he was busy with his buying and selling. So he told him, leave me for now. Because indeed my heart is with my dinar and my dirham. And he said, If it wasn't for this earning, then they would play and wipe, wipe us around like a tissue. That the people would treat us like a handkerchief. Like they would wipe their hands with a tissue after eating food. So he would seek this provision to be uh, far removed from needing anything from the people. I hope that this has answered what came from that question. And that it can be a guidance to point the brothers how they can proceed upon this in their lives. So that they can be upon the way of the noble companions. And now we'll begin with the issues of our book. So the Sheikh, he said, we'll start with our issues. And uh, I translated that as the issues of the book. So it is preceded that Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, that he narrated and conveyed this i'tiqad, or these points of belief, from more than 1,000 scholars, 1,000 people of knowledge. Those whom he met in various lands from the lands of the Muslims. So he said, and I have sufficed with the naming of these few so that it can be short. And so it would not be too long. So I did not see a single one of them differ regarding these things, these points. 
And the first point is that the religion is statement and action. Or statement and action. No. And that is due to the statement of Allah, the Most High. And they were not the statement of the law which means and they were not ordered except to worship Allah alone sincerely and turning away, turning away from other than that and to establish the prayer and to pay the zakah and that is the upright religion this is the first issue بدأ بها المؤلف رحمه الله. That the author began with. لأنها أول مسألة افترقت فيها الأمة. And this is because this is the first issue which the Ummah split regarding. فحدثت بسببها الخوارج. So due to the differing in this issue, the خوارج came about. وفي مقابلهم المرجئة. And opposing the خوارج came about the مرجئة. وهي مسألة حكم الفاسق الملي. And it is the issue of the ruling of a sinner from the Muslims. في الدنيا والآخرة. What is his ruling both in this worldly life and what is his ruling in the hereafter? واسمه. And what is his name? What do we call him? أي ماذا يسمى? What should he be called? وعنوان المسألة. And the heading of this issue. مسألة الأسماء والأحكام. Is the issue of names and rulings, or it's known as the issue of the sinner who is of the same religion, or it's also known as the issue of those who commit major sins. So this is the first issue which the ummah split and differed about. And the khawarij came out due to this issue. So the khawarij, they gave the ruling that the one who commits a major sin has committed kufr and is disbelieved. And then thereafter came the murji'ah. So they tried to refute the bid'ah, the innovation of the Khawarij by bringing about a new bid'ah. So they claimed the Murjia saying that he is a believer with complete Iman. And the Iman of the lowest of the people is the same level of Iman as Abu Bakr and Umar. And from them are those who even said that the Iman of the lowest type of person is equal to the level of Iman of the angel Jibreel. And the Sunnah is between these two extremes. And this issue of Iman is a tremendous issue. وَلِهَذَا اِعْتَنَى بِهَا الْأَئِمَّ رَحِمَهُمُ اللَّهِ And due to that, the imams gave great care to it. فَهَذَا الْإِمَامُ الْبُخَارِي فِي صَحِيحِهِ So, Imam al-Bukhari himself, in his book, al-Sahih, 
He made as a chapter Kitab al-Iman, the book of Iman. And likewise, Imam Muslim in his book, As-Sahih. Imam Tirmidhi also in his book, As-Sahih. And from the Imams are those who authored individual books. Like Imam Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shayba. From those whom Allah whom Bukhari met and narrated from him. So he has a book called Al Iman. And Shaykh Al Albani did a checking of it and it is printed. And Abu Ubaid. Qasim ibn Salam likewise has a book called Al-Iman. And Shaykh al-Albani also did a checking of this book and it's published and available. And likewise, Kitab al-Iman, the book of Iman by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. And many of them have been narrated by Abu Bakr al-Khalal in his book, As-Sunnah. And also the book of Iman by the Imam Ibn Manda. And other than those books are many. And from the most comprehensive of these books, is the book called Kitab al-Iman, the book of Iman by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And it was printed many times. And from those prints is also one that has been checked and, author- and reviewed by Shaykh al-Albani. So we see how the Imams have given great care to this issue. So it is a issue which is a clear difference between the khawarij from one angle and the murjia and between ahlus sunnah. So the people of sunnah they say that the iman which Allah made obligatory upon the slaves. وَجَعَلَ أَصْحَابَهُ مَوْعُودِينَ بِدُخُولِ الْجَنَّةِ مِنْ غَيْرِ حِسَابٍ وَلَا عَذَابٍ And Allah made from them those who will enter Jannah without any punishment and without being brought to account. هُوَ This, this Iman قَوْلٌ وَعَمَلٌ is statement and action. وَأَرَادُوا بِقَوْلِهِمْ قَوْلٌ And they meant by their statement, when the Imam spoke about it, they meant by their statement that Iman is a statement, a call. That it is the statement of the heart and the statement of the tongue. And the meaning of the the meaning of this call of of the of the statement of the heart is the affirmation of what has come from Allah and His Messenger. And their intent behind saying the statement of the tongue 
The statement of the shahada by saying La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and other than that from what is necessary from the tongue. And when they said al-amal or actions then it means the actions of the heart and the actions of the limbs. And some examples of the actions of the heart are love of Allah, fearing Allah, and being hopeful for Allah. And we, it is preceded that these three are in the beginning of Surah Al-Fatiha. So I'll ask you about them. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Mada fiha? What is in it? What is in this verse? Al-Muhabba. Good. Al-Rahman Al-Rahim. So it had Muhabba, which was love. And Al-Rahman Al-Rahim. Al-Raja. Has Raja. It has hope in Allah. Maliki Yawmiddin. الخوف they are the foundation for the actions of the limbs. And as for the actions of the limbs, then everything which Allah has made obligatory upon you, such as the prayers, and fasting, and making hajj, and other than that, from the actions and deeds. And then I want to point out that the actions of the heart and the actions of the limbs are of two types. The first part or first type are the actions which is obligatory for you to do. You must perform these. Like the examples that have come. Already. And the second part or the second type of these are those actions which it's obligatory for you to leave. Those matters which in the Sharia it's obligatory upon you to abandon and stay away from. So staying away from arrogance and not having or not being amazed with yourself and not being deceived with yourself abandoning all of these is from your iman and regarding the limbs so for you to not perform zina and to not drink khamar and to not do deal in usury or interest and for you to not lie Abandoning all of these matters and others like them all of this is from Iman. Just like performing Salah and your fasting in Ramadan is from Iman. 
So due to that, Imam al-Bukhari in his book, Kitab al-Iman if we read the subheadings or the subchapters within this book we find many examples. For example, loving the Messenger is from Iman. From Iman is to love for your brother what you love for yourself. That a sign of Iman is loving the Ansar. That jihad is or striving in the path of Allah is from Iman. Fasting in Ramadan while hoping for the reward is from Iman. That the distribution of the booty amongst the five is from Iman. The second issue that I want to point out. The second issue, may Allah bless you all. I've spoken so far about the Iman that is wajib, that's necessary. But and as for the Iman that is recommended, then it is both statements and actions which Allah had legislated for us that is recommended in things which Allah loves but he did not make obligatory upon us so these are also from Iman such as praying in Ramadan praying at night in Ramadan and Imam al-Bukhari he made the subheading that to voluntarily pray at night is from Iman. And he mentioned the hadith of Abu, of Abu Hurairah who from the Prophet whoever stands in prayer at night in Ramadan with Iman and hoping for the reward then whatever has proceeded from sins will be forgiven and praying at night in Ramadan is from the recommended actions which is loved likewise praying in Laylatul Qadr so from those matters of Iman are, th are matters that are wajib, obligatory and likewise the statements which are loved and recommended they are from the Iman which is mustahab, recommended and beloved. This is what both the book and the sunnah prove and the companions and the salaf have agreed upon this but the khawarij and those with them have opposed this so what is the angle that they differed in they said that iman is speech and action 
ولكنهم قالوا but they said من ترك بعض الإيمان whoever leaves off some iman فارتكب ما حرمه الله عليه من الكبائر and commits what Allah had made haram from the major sins فإنه يكون بذلك كافرا then due to that he becomes a disbeliever ويخرج من الإيمان بالكلية and he completely leaves iman ويكون حلال الدم والمال and both his blood and wealth become permissible and that in the hereafter he would be everlasting in the hellfire and no one from, who, from the intercessors would be able to help him and he would not be affected or he would not be given mercy by the most merciful of the mercy. And we seek refuge in Allah from their filthy way and their filthy methodology. And the Mu'tazila have agreed with the Khawarij. Those who stayed away from the lesson of Hassan al-Basri. Even though they originally were from his students. So that you may know that it's not necessary that it just because someone was a student of a scholar of the Sunnah that doesn't mean that he'll be upon the Sunnah like his Shaykh was. So it's not sufficient to know the state of a person so it's not sufficient to say that oh he is from the students of such and such or he studied with so and so that doesn't benefit him in anything if he doesn't follow the truth and if he, and if he opposed that which his sheikh was upon from the sunnah فخالف الحسن البصري. so the Mu'tazila they opposed Hassan al-Basri. إذ كان علماء السنة يردون على الخوارج. while the imams of the Sunnah were refuting the خوارج. فجاء المعتزلة. so the Mu'tazila came. وقالوا بقول الخوارج. and they came with the same statement as that of the خوارج. وأحدث فيه بعض التعديلات. except that they innovated into it some more little adjustments. فقالت الخوارج. يخرج من الإيمان إلى الكفر. so the Khawarij say that somebody who commits a major sin leaves Islam and goes to disbelief. يعني مرتكب الكبائر. yes, the those who commit the major sins. وقالت المعتزلة يخرج من الإيمان لكن لا يدخل الكفر حتى يموت على ذلك. so the Mu'tazila say that in this life he leaves Iman and goes into kufr. but no, the Mu'tazila say. He leaves Iman, but he does not enter Kufr until his death. And the Khawarij said, We will call him a Kafir. As for the Mu'tazila, then they said, If somebody committed a major sin, we won't call him a, a believer and we won't call him a Kafir. 
Rather, he is in a place between two places. And this is the bid'ah that they have, the Mu'tazila, that's different than all of the other sects. So the Khawarij said, We hold his wealth and blood to be permissible. But the Mu'tazila said, we don't hold his blood or wealth to be permissible. And we'll deal with him like how the Prophet dealt with the munafiqeen, with the hypocrites in his time. And then if that person dies in that situation, in that state, without making tawbah, and he still remained upon that sin up until his death, when the Mu'tazila say, then upon his death, in that state, he is a kafir. And he will remain in the hellfire forever. And in this aspect, then they agreed with the Khawarij. So is this made clear for you all? That they agreed upon, meaning the Khawarij and the Mu'tazila, agreed upon the ruling of the person who commits major sins in the hereafter. And they agree upon that he left Iman. As for the people of Sunnah, then they say, as long as he is a person of Tawheed, then no matter what he does from the major sins, by uh, abandoning that which is obligatory upon him or doing haram things then we do not remove him from iman completely but rather we say that he is a believer that is deficient in his iman or we say he is a believer with the iman that he has and he is likewise at the same time a sinner due to his major sin and if he dies consistently or still upon the major sins without making repentance or tawbah if he doesn't consider or he doesn't think about making tawbah and he still proceeds upon committing these major sins openly and he advertises his sins no matter what those sins are he keeps making them public so then if he dies then he is under the will of Allah if Allah wills he will forgive him completely from the beginning and if Allah wills, he will weigh him between his deeds. So if his hasanat, if his good deeds are heavier, then he would enter Jannah. And if his evil deeds were heavier, then Allah could either pardon him 
or allow an intercessor for him or enter in him into the fire due to his sins and whoever enters the hellfire due to their sins from among the Muslims then indeed he is not punished in it the same way as the and he will not remain in it as the kufar remain in it. So either he would be removed from the hellfire due to the intercession of the Prophet or another intercessor because the other prophets also intercede and the angels intercede and the those who are shaheeds will intercede and likewise the righteous Muslims will intercede so the righteous friends so those righteous friends will ask Allah to be able to intercede for their friends who are in the hellfire so they will say, O oh our Lord, there were people who used to be with us. They would pray with us. And do this and that. So Allah will say to them, Go to them and take them out from the fire. Whoever said, La ilaha And in his heart was even a tiny amount of iman. So either he will exit the hellfire due to an intercession or he would exit the hellfire due to the mercy of Allah or he would exit the hellfire due to the end of his time limit because Allah is a just judge he never punishes anyone due to the sins of someone else. And you will not be and a sinner or somebody would not be held to account due to the sins of someone else. And Allah will never punish somebody more than what their sin was worth. And Allah would never punish someone before the proof and clarification came to them. Like as Allah said what means. And we were not from those who punish except until after a messenger came. This is the summarized belief of Ahl Sunnah from the companions and the Tabi'een related to the person who commits major sin. No matter how many major sins he commits or how publicly he makes it or however many people he invites to commit the sin with him whether they are a ruler or somebody who is ruled or if you're somebody who is ruled or somebody who is poor whether they are a man or a woman 
would not be confused about this or go back and forth about it. They would never be uh, confused or be doubtful about saying he is a Muslim. Even if he had with him much innovation and misguidance. Rather, rather he might even commit something from kufr, something from disbelief. So he might make a statement of disbelief. Or he might commit actions of disbelief. So the people of Sunnah would judge upon him that this statement is disbelief. Or this action is disbelief. But they would not declare that individual person to be a disbeliever. And they would not remove him from Islam. Except after the proofs have been established. And the conditions of that have been fulfilled. And that anything that would have prevented him from becoming a kafir have been uh, established. What are some of these things that would prevent somebody from becoming a disbeliever? First example, ignorance. Or a mistake. If he said something that was disbelief, but he didn't intend to say it that way. Like in the two books of Sahih, Bukhari and Muslim, from the hadith of Anas. That indeed Allah is more happy with the repentance of one of you. Up until he mentioned a man who grabs the reins or the rope of his uh, camel. And he, and he says, Oh Allah, you are my slave and I am your Lord. And the Prophet ﷺ said that this man, he made the mistake due to how severely happy he was. Number three, the third example of those matters that would prevent which would prevent someone being declared a disbeliever is that if somebody misinterprets a text from the Sharia that he became confused with. And there are many proofs for this. But indeed I'll just uh, suffice with mentioning these three now. And there are other than them. And I'll give you an example from the lives of the Imams. The first example is from Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. That in his time was the Jahmiyyah. Those were the followers of Jahm ibn Safwan a Samarqandi. That he would negate all of the attributes of Allah. And he believed and claimed that the Qur'an was created. And this issue will come. And their statements were terrible in the religion. Even that some of the Imams said that the Jahmiyyah were not even from the 72 sects. Them and the extreme Rawafid. 
So there was Jahmiyyah, they affected the Khalifa at that time. And they confused him. So the Khalifa at that time took their statements. And he punished and killed the people of Sunnah. And the uh, Imams or the scholars, they were affected by those statements. So what was the stance and position of Imam Ahmad at that time? Did Imam Ahmad declare each and every one of them to be disbelievers from the Jahmiyyah? So for example, there was Ma'mun. And then after him was Al-Mu'tasim. And then Al-Wathiq after him. These three Khulafa. Each one of them followed the other in punishing the people of Sunnah and in aiding the Jahmiyyah. And the statements of the Jahmiyyah are major disbelief. But because they have these doubts, Imam Ahmed did not declare them as individuals to be disbelievers. And he prohibited from rebelling against those rulers. And he said that rebelling against them would be against the Sunnah and against the narrations. And Ibn Taymiyyah used to debate with their scholars and would say to them, if I said, with, if I spoke with your all statement, then I would have become a disbeliever. Because I'm, I know it. But as for you all, then I consider you to be ignorant. Even though they were scholars. But due to the strength of their doubts. They were ignorant about the truth regarding these issues. And it was not that whoever was a jahmi, that they would make fear of him specifically. And during the time of Imam Ahmad, then we did not find that people would commit shirk by worshipping the dead. And they would not ask the people of the graves other than Allah. This came about again after them. So Imam Ibn Taymiyyah came about and then after some centuries Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab so both of them did not declare whoever did these actions of shirk to be disbelievers individually rather they established the proofs clarifying that this was major shirk and that this what they're doing was specifically the shirk of the people of the jahiliyyah what they were doing at the graves and the tombs or how they would make dua to the prophets and the righteous as for the specific individuals who would do that, then they did not declare those individuals to be disbelievers. But rather they made excuses for them due to their ignorance. And because they had doubts. 
ومن أشدها and from the most severe of them were the scholars of evil and misguidance those who would order and say to their followers that this is not shirk they would say this is not shirk this is just seeking help from the righteous so the Imams of Sunnah did not declare to be disbelievers except who the proofs were established do you all understand these two examples so I'll go back to our issue that we're discussing that the people of Sunnah no matter how much somebody does for major sins whether he does it openly or hidden either if he does it alone by himself or if he invites other people to do the sin with him if he either has just major sins or if he has major sins and other innovations with it then the people of Sunnah do not remove this type of person from Iman. And they don't have any doubt or any instability or going back and forth in declaring he is a Muslim. Because some people might come with a statement and say, I don't declare him to be a disbeliever. So we say to him, say that he's Muslim. This is the leader of a Muslim country. So say he's Muslim. So they'll say, oh, but he has some Sufiya with him or he has some Bid'ah with him. Or he calls people to commit sins. So we say to him, say he's Muslim. The second issue, some people say, some of them say, I don't declare he's a disbeliever, but I don't refute any of you who say that he's a disbeliever. This door needs to be locked. It shouldn't be done in this way. So you find some of them, either that they say about certain callers of Hizbiyah and Bid'ah either he might speak about them that they are disbelievers or he might say instead I don't refute you all if you say he's a disbeliever is this the way of Ahl Sunnah? Is this their stance? The answer is no. Rather, the people of Sunnah, they make inkar, they refute this type of way. And some of them say, These, this innovator and that one and this other one, they'll say, I don't seek Allah's mercy for them. No problem. I don't say Rahimahullah. That's okay. You, maybe you don't want to say Rahimahullah due to your hatred of them or to warn others against them. But that which is dangerous is that he might say to me I don't 
they uh, don't seek mercy for them because I'm in doubt whether they are Muslim or not. That's against the way of the people of Sunnah in this matter. And somebody else might say, and I myself have heard somebody say this, and I discussed this with them. I, about some of the heads of the people of uh, Bida and the people of the Ikhwan al-Muslimin from the heads of them so this person said about them that they have matters of kufr with them, disbelief so he said I'm not able to say that he's Muslim so I asked are you trying to say that he's a disbeliever and he has left Islam so he said, no, I don't say that. So what are you trying to say? Are you agreeing with the statement of the Mu'tazila that he's in a place between two places? You, you either say he's Muslim or he's Kafir. How can you melt and soften this issue? The Salaf were very clear about it. And their speech was completely clear about it. And it completely cut off. Right. It did not accept any of this uh, multicoloredness. Muslim, Muslim. So if somebody is a Muslim, then you may say he's Muslim. Nothing removes him from Islam except surety like the clarity of the sun. So be very careful and pay attention to this. I ask your permission that I sit down now. Jazakumullah khair. Innahu hasanun. Very good. Very good. Very, very good. He wants more. Fanahdar. Okay, okay. Yeah. So we need to watch out for the spreading of some of the methods of the khawarij. That have, so we need to watch out from some of these ways of the khawarij that have spread to some of the people that ascribe to the sunnah. Ibn Taymiyyah said in his book, Al-Istiqamah, and some of the people of goodness and abstinence and worship he has in him a small piece of the way of the khawarij in him even if he opposes the khawarij in their other matters it's necessary that you be upon the sunnah completely and that you beware of these false ways and likewise these specific points that they have these specific issues and due to mistakes in these issues and the spread of these of these ways and methods of the people of takfir that is spread to 
the teachers. We find people that falsely claim that the people of Sunnah have irja. So they describe Sheikh Al-Albani, Rahimullah, Sheikh Rabir, Hafidullah, and other than them of having irja. And this is from the ways of the Khawarij. And I asked our Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen, Rahimullah, and the, both the question and answer are available and present on YouTube. I asked him before about 23 years. I asked him about those who accused the imams of, or the scholars of Sunnah. Yes. So I asked him about those who accuse the Imams of Sunnah of our time of having irja, such as Sheikh Al Albani, who I mentioned by name. So he defended Imam Al Albani and he praised him and he clarified his high status. Then I said to him, some of the scholars or Imams. Have said that the Khawarij, with, with their statement of takfir, they describe the people of Sunnah as being Murjia. So are these people those who accuse our scholars of having irja? Do they have a, resembl a resemblance? And a vein from the Khawarij. So he said, Shaykh Uthameen Rahimullah, yes. Yes, those who describe these scholars who are just. So he said, yes, those who describe these scholars that are upon this clear middle path. Those who describe them and claim that they have irja, then they have resemblance of the khawarij. So we should be careful of this. And Sheikh Uthaymin also said, in one of his speeches, about those who describe, those who say that the the one who abandons the actions of the limbs is under the Mashia of Allah, under the will of Allah. That, and that if he dies upon Tawheed, that his end result will be in Jannah. That he was asked that some of these some people claim that these are the statements of the Murjia. So Shaykh Uthaymeen, he refuted and rejected that. And said, But some people want to declare the people to be kufar. So whoever doesn't agree with him, he says about him this kind of statement. So may Allah bless you all, we need to be careful. We spoke about this side. Those who go to extremes. Those who go to extremes regarding 
the ruling upon someone who commits a major sin. And is this something that has finished in the past or it's still present today? The answer is that it is still very plentiful today. And indeed some of their issues like we've mentioned have even flowed into some of those who ascribe to the because they did not realize it. And the other side who oppose the Quran and the Sunnah they are the Murji'ah. And the, it has been widespreadly reported that the Salaf held them to be blameworthy and declared them to be upon innovation. And they clarified the ugliness of their statements. So the Salaf held them to be or considered them to be? No. So the Murji'ah, they considered that the Muslim that committed a major sin is a believer with complete Iman. And his Iman was not deficient. But rather his Iman was the same level of Abu Bakr and Omar. Even it, that it was that some of the Salaf perhaps it was Ja'far al-Sadiq if I'm not mistaken from my memory. So he came across a woman who was singing in the marketplace. So he said, may Allah make that statement ugly. He said, he said, so he, so he said that how ugly is the statement of the Murji'ah? That they say that her Iman is the same level of Iman as Abu Bakr and Omar. So indeed she's somebody who would be deficient in Iman. Because the foundational principle which the Quran and the Sunnah prove and what the Sahaba were agreed upon is that Iman increases and decreases. And due to that, Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah in his book, Kitab al-Iman he said rahimahullah in the beginning of it Heading Al-Iman And the statement of the Prophet Islam is established upon five And it is statement and action And increases and decreases As Allah said as Allah said what means so that they may increase in Iman along with their Iman and as Allah said what means and we increased them in guidance and as Allah said what means and Allah increases those who have guidance with guidance and 
And as Allah said, what means? And those who were guided, then they were increased in guidance and they were given and as Allah said what means and that Allah increases those who have iman with iman until the end of what Imam al-Bukhari mentioned from the verses so this is an important foundation that iman increases and decreases but the khawarij they don't hold it to increase and decrease rather they say if somebody commits a major sin then their iman completely leaves and they declare to be a disbeliever whoever has committed that major sin likewise the murji agree with them by saying iman does not increase and decrease so no matter what somebody does from the major sins they say his iman is complete and this is in complete opposition to the Quran and the Sunnah because indeed many ahadith have come that the Prophet has negated iman from certain people who commit major sins and the meaning behind that is the complete iman like the statement of the Prophet by Allah he doesn't believe by Allah he doesn't believe by Allah he doesn't believe so they asked, Who, O Messenger of Allah? Indeed, indeed, he is at loss. Whoever does not protect or whoever his neighbor is not protected from his harms. So the Prophet negated here Iman. And he swore by it three times. He said this three times about whoever harms their neighbor. So, so, so is the one who harms their neighbor. I'm asking you, the one who harms their neighbor, is are they a kafir or are they a Muslim who is deficient in their iman? Muslim who is deficient in Iman and like him exactly is the statement of Allah in Surah Nisa that which means indeed by Allah they do not believe until they take you as a judge in what they dispute about between them and then they don't find in themselves any difficulty regarding what you have ordered and judged and they submit with a complete submission with Ahl Sunnah the type of Iman that is negated in this verse is the complete Iman just like the Iman which is negated 
in the hadith we mentioned about the neighbors. But as for the khawarij, and those who agree with them in their statement, then the iman that they consider to be negated is the foundation of iman. So they declare the rulers of the Muslims to be disbelievers. Those who don't judge by the sharia. And they judge by other laws. Why do they do this? So they, they, they claim that it's because Allah said, indeed by your Lord they do not believe. So Ibn Taymiyyah explained in his book, Minhaj al-Sunnah, in the seventh volume, and I don't remember which page, and the Khawarij have used this verse as a proof for them to declare to be a disbeliever the rulers the rulers who don't rule by what Allah revealed and as for today these innovated Islamic political groups and parties, these political partisan Islamic groups, we find in their books and in the speech of their callers, we find them declaring the rulers to be disbelievers because they don't rule by the Sharia or they don't utilize it in their rulings. This is just like what the Khawarij did. And Ibn Taymiyyah mentioned in his book Iman he mentioned the same verse he said so the, the iman or the type of iman that's negated here is the necessary complete iman that type of iman that somebody if they have it would be from those who are promised to enter Jannah without a judgment and without any punishment. So if somebody commits that which opposes it then he would not be from those who are promised that promise. To enter Jannah directly without any being taken into account and without punishment. But rather, his level would go down until he's from those people who are the people of Wa'id, mean those people who are threatened. Those who are threatened with the hellfire. And what is the ruling of the people who are threatened with the fire? From those people who are the people of major sins. It has already come in what we've covered now. That they are under what? They are under the will of Allah, the mighty and majestic. So I've given you examples from the verse and the hadith. And I've conveyed to you two separate statements from Bintamiya. 
حول هذه الآية فلا وربك لا يؤمنون حتى يحكموا related to this verse النقل الأول فيه بيان مذهب الخوارج في هذه الآية the first statement from Ibn Taymiyyah clarified the, the ideology of the Khawarij regarding this verse and the second statement from Ibn Taymiyyah clarified the correct stance of the people of Sunnah regarding this verse so if you recited a verse or you read a hadith that you find in that hadith or that verse that it says that one does not believe whoever does such and such thing then you benefit two things from it the first benefit that this person has either has either abandoned doing something obligatory or he has committed something prohibited for example, somebody that has harmed their neighbor. So this person has done something haram. And somebody from the rulers who might have left ruling by something Allah revealed, then he has left something which is obligatory. So this is the first benefit. That that which negates for them iman, في الآيات والأحاديث in these verses and the ahadith إما أن يقول ترك واجبا is either that you abandoned something that's obligatory أو ارتكب حراما or committed something haram الفائدة الثانية the second benefit أن هذا نفي لكمال الإيمان is that this negates that somebody's iman is complete فمن فعل ذلك نقص إيمانه so whoever commits that thing which is mentioned then his iman will go down and this is not something which removes him from Islam and the only people that declare him to be a disbeliever due to this it would be the Khawarij so I hope that this has this explanation has been comprehensive for the whole issue and then we'll go back now to the speech of Imam al-Bukhari in his book. So Imam al-Bukhari used as a proof that, he, that the religion is both speech and action with this verse from Surah Bayinah. And he has already used this verse as a proof. And Imam al-Shafi had already used this verse as a proof for this. When he said, when Imam al-Shafi said, that this verse from Surah Bayna is the most severe verse upon the Murjiah. Because Allah mentioned in it both the prayer and paying zakat. وإخلاص الدين لله and having sincerity in religion for Allah وقال بعد ذلك and said after that وذلك دين القيمة and that is the upright religion فسمى الجميع دينا so Allah named all of these matters to be the religion وفي الصحيحين and in the two books of Sahih Muslim and Bukhari من حديث أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم from the hadith of Abu Huraira رضي عنه that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said that Iman is 60 odd parts 
The highest part is the statement La ilaha illallah. And the lowest part is removing something harmful from the path. And shyness is a part of iman. And this hadith in this hadith includes an action of the heart which is or shyness and it includes in it a statement which is the saying and it includes an action of the limbs which is removing harm from the path so if removing something harmful from the path is from iman then what about prayer and fasting and paying a zakat and being good to your parents no doubt all of these are from iman due to many proofs the second issue قال البخاري رحمه الله البخاري رحمه الله said وأن القرآن كلام الله and the Quran is the speech of Allah غير مخلوق it is not created تقدم معنا مرارا it has come before many times التنبيه على ذلك that we've pointed that out وهذا وهذه مسألة عظيمة and this is a tremendous issue ويا أحدثها الجهمية and the Jahmiya had innovated in it so they negated all of Allah's attributes. And from them is the attribute of Allah's speech. So they said that Allah does not speak. And he did not say anything. And he did not speak. And he will never speak. So they completely negated Allah's attribute of speech. And this is deviation in Allah's names and attributes. But rather it is a negation and a throwing out of all of the revelations. Because if they negate the attribute of Allah's speech So from where did the wahi and the message Where did the revelation and the message come from then? So when they negated the, the attribute of speech from Allah And that is in opposition to the Quran and the Sunnah and in opposition to what the Sahaba agreed upon and it even is in even opposition to what the correct intellect would understand indeed speech is in an, an attribute of completeness and Allah is the one who has most right to being able to speak. And Allah the Most High said, the Mighty and Majestic said, that which means that Allah spoke to Musa with a real speech. And Allah said what means? And when he came to our meeting place, his Lord spoke to him.
So, it is three issues we're talking about. The first is the affirmation of Allah's names and attributes. The second issue is affirming the attribute of speech to Allah the Mighty and Majestic and that Allah spoke with sound that Musa السلام, heard when Allah called him and that whomever Allah wills to hear his speech on the day of resurrection will hear it and whoever is on the plains of the resurrection here, whether they are close or far away Allah will say I am the owner I am the I am the owner like as has come in Sahih al-Bukhari in his book Kitab al-Tawheed in Sahih Bukhari so this is related to this, the attribute of speech the third issue we're discussing that from the speech of Allah the Mighty and Majestic is the Quran that which is present with us the beginning of it is Surah Fatiha and the end of it is Surah An-Nas that Allah spoke with it and Jibreel heard it from him and Muhammad heard it from Jibreel and the Sahaba heard it from the Messenger and they conveyed it to us and they wrote it and it is preserved by Allah's preserving of it like as Allah said as he said that we are the ones who sent down the remembrance and indeed we are preservers of it so there is no deficiency in it and there is no addition to it whoever negates or rejects this or doubts about it then he is not a Muslim so this is what the Muslims have agreed upon before the Jahmiya came about and those who took their statements began to say it so, and before the Mu'tazila began to take the statements of the Jahmiya and the Asha'ira also began to take the statements of the Jahmiyyah and due to this, the way of the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah then great fitan came about great and trials and tests came about for Imam Ahmad and other than him who was with him from the Imams of the Sunnah and Imam Ahmad was beaten and imprisoned and many of the Imams of the Hadith were killed in trying to force them to make these statements of Kufr 
trying to force them to claim that the Qur'an is created. So the Imams of the Sunnah agreed upon that this is major disbelief because it necessitates that you reject what Allah and His Messenger said. And because it involves rejecting Allah's names and attributes. And indeed it is in uh, rejecting the revelation of Allah. So indeed it is major disbelief. And they did not declare that each individual that might have said those statements to be a disbeliever. Due to the ignorance and doubts that were there. But as for the statement itself, then indeed it is kufr or disbelief. So this issue of saying the Qur'an is created came about. And they, this, the ummah and the imams were tested by it. But rather they, they, they even declared the people who said that the Qur'an is the speech of Allah, they declared them to be disbelievers. Isn't this from being strange in the religion? That the one who refrains from saying something that's kufr is declared to be a kafir for that. And that those who stayed away from bid'ah were the ones who were being accused of being upon bid'ah. So this is from the strangeness that comes about to clinging to the religion. As the Prophet said in Sahih Muslim that he narrated from Abu Hurairah that the Prophet said that Islam began as something strange and it will return as something strange just as it had started. And there are many different sects that have opposed regarding the correct belief in the Qur'an. The first ones were the Jahmiyyah, who were open and clear about their beliefs. Those who were in the time of Ma'moon and those after him, after him from those Khulafa that we mentioned. So they used to say clearly and openly that the Qur'an is created. The second group, after the Khalifa called Al-Mutawakkil came, and he aided the Sunnah, and he removed Imam Ahmed from the prison, and ordered that that the, the correct belief of in uh, that the correct belief of the sunnah should be read in the masajid in the masjids and that he declared openly that his test would not go on that the people would not be forced to say the Quran is created may Allah have expansive mercy upon him there still remain some people upon that false corrupt belief. But they were fearful from the government and from the Imams of the Sunnah. So they said, and this is the second sect that we're mentioning after the Jahmiyyah. 
نحن نقول we say they would claim القرآن كلام الله but the Quran is the speech of Allah لكن لا نقول مخلوق ولا غير مخلوق but we don't say whether it is created or not created فلم يقبل منهم الأئمة ذلك so the imams did not accept that statement from them وهذه الفرقة اسمهم الواقفة and this sect was called the واقفة those who stopped لأن الأدلة صريحة because the proofs are clear أنه غير مخلوق the proofs are clear that the Quran is not created والجهمية موجودة and the jahmiyyah were present فلا ينفعك أن تقول كلام الله وتسكت so it is not sufficient and it does not benefit you to say that the Quran is the speech of Allah and then stop لأن سكوتك يفسر بأمرين because when you stop there by saying only that the Quran is the speech of Allah then you could, it could be understood or interpreted one of two ways the first way if you stop there they might think that you are uh, doubtful about the matter and if you doubt about it then that would be disbelief because the speech of Allah is not created and there is no doubt about that whatsoever the second issue أن تكون ذلك منك حيلة وخديعة. That it could be from sneakiness and trying to hide what they're really upon. كما فعلت هذه الجهمية. Like the Jahmiya began to start doing. فيقولون كلام الله. So they would say that it's the speech of Allah. قل له قل غير مخلوق. And when they would be told to say it's not created. فيقول لا كلام الله. Then they would say, no, we'll only say it's the speech of Allah. Just as a masjid is the house of Allah. So he intends by saying that, that, it's that it is created. So I'll stop by mentioning these two groups. Because the third group has extra detail with it. Which is very specific. قد يصعب فهمه على بعض الحاضرين. That some of those present could have difficulty in understanding. Or some of those who might be listening. ولكن يكفينا هذه الجملة المتقدمة. So these two that have come so far, then this is sufficient for us for now. أن هذا القرآن الذي بين أيدينا هو كلام الله. And that we recognize and understand that the Quran which is in front of us today is the speech of Allah. قال الله عز وجل في سورة التوبة. As Allah said in Surah Tawbah, what means? وَإِنْ أَحَدٌ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ اسْتَجَارَكَ And if some of the mushrikeen seek to come near to you or be with you فَأَجِرْهُ Then bring him close to you حَتَّى يَسْمَعَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ So that they may hear the speech of Allah ثُمَّ أَبْلِغْهُ مَأْمَنَهُ And then let him go back to where he needs to go ماذا سيسمع هذا المشرك من النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم What would the this mushrik hear from the Prophet ﷺ? Indeed, he would hear the speech of Allah. And it is the Quran. Because the Prophet ﷺ used to call the mushrikeen with the Quran. He used to give them da'wah with the Quran. But today, some people some people they want to invite or give da'wah to the sinners of the Muslims with 
an ashid or other types of uh, amusement. If it was that the mushrikun were given da'wah with the Qur'an, so what about a sinning Muslim? His heart would be closer to accepting the Qur'an. So give him da'wah with the verses and the ahadith. The point that we want to make in it is clear proofs that the Qur'an is the speech of Allah because because that is what the people would have heard from the mouth of the Prophet so this is the second issue and that which the Imams had agreed upon so just further clarification of that verse from Surah Tawbah that if one of the mushrikeen seeks to be close to you for safety then keep him close so he can be safe and so that he may hear the speech of Allah until you uh, allow him to reach back to his place of safety. Then Imam al-Bukhari continued and he mentioned one verse related to this issue from Surah A'raf verse 54 and in it the statement of Allah which means indeed for him is the creation and the order glorified is Allah the Lord of all of creation Ibn Uyayna said so Allah clarified the khalq, the creation from his order. Meaning he differed between the two. And this is from the verses which are proof of a proof of affirming, of affirming this attribute of speech of Allah. And that the Quran is from the speech of Allah. And you all read in the Quran. Allah said. And your Lord said. And when your Lord said to the angels. There are many verses about this and in the hadith. That Allah mentions speech or he spoke. And he said. And all of this affirms that Allah speaks. And in this verse that we mentioned, Allah differed between the creation and his order. So the Quran is from the order of Allah and not from his creation. And his speech is from his order, not his creation. Like Allah the Mighty and Majestic said, 
indeed his order. If he wants something to happen, that he would say to it, be, and it is. So this is from his order. And this is from the beautiful ways that we can benefit from the meanings of the Quran. From the Imam Sufyan ibn Uyayna. So we'll take a small break for anybody that wants to renew their wudu mm -hmm. uh, for salat and then we'll continue afterwards. So we'll take a small break and prepare for uh, Salat al-Dhuhr if anyone needs to renew their wudu and then we can continue a little bit after the prayer. Yeah, no,